0: May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As I've been reading these words of St. Paul, I've been stuck on this idea of calling. Because he talks a lot about it, calling. And, and it, it transforms into my mind this the idea of, like I was saying last week, about um, the way that we use telephones. And another one that came into my idea, in my mind this uh, week was caller ID. <laughs> and the way caller ID, for those of you who were not around before this, um, you used to answer the phone and have no idea who was on the other end. You know, uh, you, it would be a big mystery, you know, am I going to like this or not? Um, but now we have this question that swirls in our mind, do I take this call or not, right? This is, this is the question that now we now have. And so you're sitting at lunch with a friend and uh, his or her phone rings and they dig into their purse or in their jacket or whatever for the phone and and they they pull it out and they look at it don't they this is what happens they look at the phone nobody answers a phone without looking at it nobody they look at the phone and this is the moment when they're thinking is the person on the other end of this telephone more important than the person i'm sharing this table with right now right and this is the this is the that's what they're thinking in case you're wondering i'm going to let you in on it that's what's going through the head right now, right? And the criterion the is this oh, it's, it's just the P.TA.. They want me to run the auction, you know, they'll, they'll leave a message. they'll call back, you know, or um, you know it's, uh, it's an 800 number. They're just trying to sell me something. They'll, they'll call back or whatever. Um, it's my priest, I, uh, whatever. you know, let him go. he'll call back. Uh, better not happen. Um, but uh, you know, these are the things that we do. Which calls do you take? Oh, it's my son. It's my daughter. I- I'm sorry, you'll have to give me just a moment. I need to answer this. And your friend understands that. I mean, of course, it's your child, you know, especially if it's a child-child or an adolescent. I mean, that is wrought with precariousness, right? So uh, anything could be going on. You have to answer that call. Of course you do. And they they wait. Um, oh, it's it's my boss. Well, of course, you know, you have to take that call, right? Your livelihood depends on it, so... Yes, of course, our, our tacos will wait five minutes, while well, you go and answer that phone call um it's It's not that they necessarily outrank you in terms of affinity, right? Nobody likes their boss more than they like their friends, but their their family depends on it. They like feeding their families, and so yes, they, they take that call. I, I was reading the other day that a couple years ago, um, some nuns in in Spain, these Spanish nuns at a convent on New Year's Eve, were in a chapel praying when the Pope picked up the phone and just gave them a surprise phone call. Now, presumably, they couldn't hear the call, they couldn't hear the phone ringing, or presumably, if they had heard the phone ringing, they wouldn't have interrupted their prayer to go answer it. But the Pope calls, and so he leaves a message on the voicemail. And he says, what would a group of nuns be doing on New Year's Eve that they couldn't pick up a phone? You know, this is what he says, sort of a joke to them. And and then he leaves this pleasant message, you know, wishing them a a happy New Year and, and so on. And I guess that the the Pope, this Pope, Pope Francis, is is kind of known for cold calling, that he does this quite a bit. Uh, He's reading the newspaper about a year ago, and he read about this Italian woman who said that she felt that she was pressured into having an abortion and that she regretted it and whatever, and it was in some news story. So the Pope finds her phone number, and he calls her. He calls this, you know, regular person, you know, out of the blue, and and he calls just to give her comfort and, and absolution. Um, I think that perhaps that probably did alleviate some of her, her guilt and the struggle that she had. He called the Foley family in New Hampshire when their son James had been beheaded by ISIS to comfort them. He picked up a phone not too long ago and called a journalist in Argentina because he was reading an Argentina newspaper. And the the journalist gave this open letter to the Pope. You shouldn't welcome the the Argentinian president into the Vatican. Uh, She's just trying to use you. And so he picks up the phone and he calls him. What do you think I should do? Like, like he's a good friend, you know. And and you write an open letter to the Pope. Watch out. He might call, you know. So that's the sort of thing. I wondered. What it would be like to be at yours truly eating Cobb salad and look down and see, you know, Sita de Vaticano, you know, on my telephone, you know, or the Vicar of Christ. You know, this is a, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take this call, you know. This is this is a pretty important one right here. Saint Paul has a bit of a moment like that. He has a moment where um, he doesn't have a telephone, long before telephones, but he's on a horse and he's riding from Jerusalem to Damascus and Syria. And as he's riding along, almost reaching his destination, this blinding light hits him, and he, he literally falls off of his horse. And there's this, this, this terrible, you know, kind of awesome uh, light that hits him, and, and he, he looks up, and he sees what few others have ever seen. He sees the resurrected Jesus, not a vision of Jesus, but he sees the actual person of Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead. And, um, he, he is struck by this. Now, apart from Jesus, no one could argue the fact that, humanly speaking, St. Paul has had the greatest effect on Christianity in the world. He has been, he has been the dominant voice for the Christian movement throughout the world, still to this day. He was amazingly brilliant doggedly determined, and a servant of God. There is no one who could compete, really, in terms of his influence in the world. One of the first missionaries, he was the one who who took the gospel into Europe, and from Europe, the gospel, of course, has gone into the world. But he wasn't always a passionate Christian. Paul used to go by a Hebrew name, Saul. And when he was in his former life before this moment where he had to take this call, he was a passionate, zealous, um, what we would call Hasidic Jew. A, an Orthodox, ultra Orthodox Jew. And he was a rabbi. He was, he was, um, he was rising in the ranks of the rabbinical, um, leaders in Jerusalem. And he was zealous. So much so that when he heard about this new sect called the Way, what Christianity was first called. He decided it was so dangerous, so heretical, that he wanted to stamp it out. And he had people arrested. He had people beaten. And he was the one who stood and gave the order when the very first Christian was martyred, Stephen. They laid their coats at Saul's feet while he watched this take place. He was a zealot, very much like what the Middle Eastern um, terrorists that we see on television today. And yet, he's going from Jerusalem to Damascus. He has this moment where he sees the resurrected Jesus, and Christ calls him to follow him. And, and, and within a few days, Paul is baptized, and he becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. And his life is just, you know, completely altered, completely changed. And he says in his little bit here in the, the lesson today, that, um, I don't know if a bit, in, in the break of today, he, he says that, um, somebody's going to be like, it's not a bit. Um, he says... It, not only did my conversion happen supernaturally, but my instruction in the gospel came in the same way. Listen to what he says. When, when God was pleased to reveal his Son in me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia. That's the desert. I went away into the desert. And... I received this message. It it did not come from people. It did not come from the heads of the church. It came from Christ. It came from a revelation of Christ. Now, the reason this is important in the Galatian letter is this. By the time Paul writes this letter, there is an ongoing assault on the gospel in the churches of the Galatian region. I mentioned last week that that Paul had planted these churches in Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today. He planted these churches in this area. He stayed with them for a number of years. They were completely um, devoid of any knowledge of Judaism or Christianity. And and Paul preaches to them. They become Christian. He has this fledgling group of churches in the area. He stays there for uh, some time and then leaves. And when he leaves, some other men come from Jerusalem. And they come and say, we're glad that you guys are Christians. We're Christians, too. Turns out Paul hasn't given you the whole message, though. There's more to being a Christian than simply believing in Jesus. Uh, You know you have to keep this kosher diet. You have to watch these particular observance of these certain days. Men have to be circumcised. This is what it means. You have to add this to your faith. And Paul is very upset about this. The reason he writes this letter, the reason that the Galatian letter exists in your Bible today is because Paul is so opposed to this message. He sees this message as contrary to his, as opposite. And he sees these preachers as people who are trying to discredit him, and he wants to sit back in order. Why is it that you believe what I preach? In other words, you have a choice. You can take this gospel that they're giving you, which he says is not really a gospel at all, this message of, of belief in Christ plus the Old Testament uh, ceremonial law, or you can take this gospel of freedom. But you can't have them both. It's one or the other. Now remember, Paul is a scholar. He's a scholar. He grew up in Tarsus with a great university. He's, he's been a, 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 um, a solid Jew from his birth. He understands the scriptures like no one else. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for him to say, Okay, we can do this, you know. What, what harm can come? Let's just embrace this little bit of, you know, ceremony and things like. That. What's the big deal? Listen to what he says. I would have you know, brothers, that my go- the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, nor did I receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation, an apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. It was three negatives, not of human origin. Not given by anyone, no one gave him this, nor was it taught by anyone. There's no teacher that came to teach him, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the fact. This is either true or it's not. You follow? Paul either did receive the gospel from God directly as a revelation from Jesus. He either did or he did not. He is either telling them the truth or he is delusional he is either telling them the truth or he's egotistical he's self-aggrandizing the dilemma is this either you accept my credentials and my message or you do not but you cannot have it both ways in a lot of ways i think we are more fortunate than the galatian christians we come along so much later We have, we have all this, all this, this story. We, we know that Paul's argument wins the day. It's always great, you know, when you're watching a mystery and you know the answer before anybody else does, right? You know what's going to happen. Maybe you've been to see, you know, the mousetrap in London and you go back with friends later and you know who did it. Don't ask me because I'm not going to tell you. You know, you, you have this, I know. We know. We know Paul wins the day. We know that Paul's gospel does, in fact, um, jive with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with, with the letters of Peter and, and James and Jude. We, we know that Paul tells the Galatians the truth. And if somebody showed up here and said, well, you know, you guys gotta keep kosher. <laughs> no more bacon for breakfast. You know, if they said that to us, we would say, I'm sorry. We've got, we've got Galatians right here. You can, you can read it. It's, you're 2,000 years too late. Uh, we would, we, we have that advantage, don't we? But in other ways, I think we're very much like the Galatian Christians um, in a in a sad and, and, and kind of dangerous sort of way. Despite having access to the entire Bible, um, the church as a whole is broadly illiterate of what's inside of it, broadly ignorant of what the message of the Bible really is. I read that between 1815 and 2015, so in the last 200 years, Five billion, that's billion with a B, five billion copies of the Bible have been sold and distributed. Five billion, that's almost one for every person on the planet. The Bible has been translated into 349 languages in its entirety, and more than 2,100 languages have at least one book of the Bible translated into their language. It is by far the world's best-selling book. And yet think about how many of them collect dust in our homes. Think about how many of them go unread and untouched. And for this reason, we are exposed to charlatans and cheats, to ill-informed and misguided teachers, to false gospels. We are exposed to false gospels. I, don't, I, I just thought of a few examples, and these are just like top of my head. Jim Jones, in the 70s, in Guyana, in South America. Young people wouldn't know this, but this preacher led, um, led hundreds of people to a, a colony. It was going to be a great Christian colony in South America. And before it was over, when somebody came to expose him, led a mass murder-suicide, 915 people, including hundreds of children, drank cyanide poisoning and died in a single day. Entire colony wiped out. David Koresh, Waco, Texas. 77 Branch Davidians killed in a fiery inferno. In a standoff against um, the, uh, the U.S. government. Heaven's Gate. I don't know if you remember this one. The 39 people commit suicide because they're going to they're commit suicide and their souls are going to come aboard and jump aboard a spaceship that's trailing at the end of the Hale-Bopp comet. I'm not kidding you. People believe this and took their own lives. Two score of them almost. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Not all uh, heresies end in suicide or murder, all kinds of other things that have happened in people's lives. Will we learn the gospel of Paul, the gospel of the New Testament? Will we let it guide our lives and guard our lives, or will we not? Because there are always new false gospels, aren't there? There are always new false teachers out there. If Paul's gospel is the gospel of God, then it has authority over me. It has a message to speak to me. And I have to bend my ear in my life to listen to it. I don't know about you, but I think it would be really cool to look down sometime on my telephone and see the White House. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't know how they get people's numbers, but they seem to get everybody's number. You know, like they, here you hear you have the president calling her, Cita de Vaticano. You know, Pope is on the other end of the line. You know, you gotta take this call. I also thought like maybe Bob De Niro. You know, Robert De Niro is gonna call. You look down and said Robert De Niro. You be like, that can't be the Robert De Niro. You know, or, or Clint Eastwood. I mean, you would look up from your Cobb salad then and say, I'm sorry, but Dirty Harry's on the other end. I've got to take this call right now, right? I've got to find out what this is all about. Uh, Eugene Peterson, do you know this name? Eugene Peterson translated the Bible. Um, he was a pastor of a church for 27 years in Bel Air, Maryland. And while he was there, he translated the Bible into this idiomatic uh, translation. It's, um, it's very good. It's called The Message, um, and he translates this for his parishioners so that they would understand not just the the words of the Bible but sort of the the, the message of the Bible, the the kind of uh, you know the feel the soul of it. So in in you know church nerd circles that I run, in, Peterson is a pretty big deal. But in terms of most of the world, he's not a very big deal. You know, most people wouldn't know him. But the story goes like this: that um, that one day Eugene Peterson is in Montana working on translating Isaiah. For the message, and so he's he's deep into this, and he he's um he's working on a, a deadline, and and he gets a call from Bono of U two, okay. If you don't know Peterson, maybe you know Bono. If you don't know either of them, we'll talk later. You need to get caught up. Um, and so Bono from U two calls, and he wants him to come to Chicago and be with the band, and to meet them, and to pray with them. I, I saw an interview where an interviewer is asking Eugene Peterson about this, and he says. You know, does this really happen? He said, well, yeah, it actually did happen. And the interviewer said, and what I understand is that you turned them down. That you didn't go to Chicago, even though they were going to send a jet to pick you up and, um, and bring you back to Montana. You didn't leave. You t- you turned them down. And Peter said, well, you know, I was, I'm up against a deadline, a publishing deadline, and, and, uh, you know, I had a lot going on and I just didn't have time to stop and fly to Chicago from there. And, and the interviewer said, but it was Bono, you know, this, you, this is you too. These guys are like legitimate rock stars, not just like metaphoric rock stars. They're really rock stars. You, how could you not go? It was Bono. And Peterson said, it was Isaiah. <laughs> yeah. I got to take this call. Which call is it? Which one do we answer? Which one really speaks to us? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.